Hello, sports fans, and welcome to Let Me Speak, the show that shares sports' biggest headlines explained, uninterrupted, and maybe a little audacious. I'm Joe Braverman, and today's topics we'll be discussing are... With the preseason set to kick off this weekend, the storylines to watch for in the NFL. Plus, which current division leader in the MLB has the best chance to hold on to their lead? And, reactions to the end of the Tokyo Olympics and who made the biggest impact for the USA. It's episode 35 of Let Me Speak, and it starts right now. Welcome back, everybody, here on Thursday, August 12th, 2021, episode 35. Can you believe it? 35 episodes of Let Me Speak. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Again, if you're watching on YouTube, you get the visual presentation. If you're on Spotify, you just get the audio version of it. And let me tell you, it is hot right now. It is very hot. I've had the AC going basically all day and all night. Turned it off just for this because, obviously, I don't want to be screaming into this microphone right here. And, you know, once I'm done, I will turn it on and we'll get myself cooler once again. But as much as the heat's going on, there's plenty of heat going on in the NFL. And that's how we start our show, by talking about the NFL because the preseason is getting underway. I know technically it was last weekend with the Hall of Fame game between Cowboys and Steelers, stuff like that. But this is the unofficial start. Every single team is going to have a preseason game this weekend. And I talked about some teams during training camp to really keep an eye on, like Packers, Saints, and Cowboys. They were really dominating the training camp headlines. But I want to look at a couple of other teams where really you got to pay attention to the preseason. Not so much the training camp and all that, but... The actual games where we get to see some game action going on. We're talking about position battles, rookie performances, and stuff like that. And I think probably the biggest one has to be the Indianapolis Colts. And it all started with their big acquisition, their new quarterback, Carson Wentz, going down with what I would call a very strange uh, foot injury. And (laughs) I got to say, I'm not a doctor, but a 5-12 to week timeline is... kind of crazy to me you know you would have thought maybe like okay we'll go five to eight or ten to twelve something like that but that's a big range but you know Wentz did say this was something that he got from high school so it's really one of those long-lasting things I guess but in terms of like Indianapolis the way they set themselves up is that they don't have a plan B if Wentz is unavailable I know reports are coming out that saying that him and Quentin Nelson, their right guard, will be on track possibly to make week one. But let's say things take a downturn and he can't play. All right. Listen to these options that they got. They have rookie Sam Ellinger from Texas. They've got Jalen Morton, who's another rookie. Second year man Jacob Eason and journeyman Brett Hunley as their backups. I don't think that's a good plan. And if I was the general manager for Indy, I would have 
grabbed a veteran or something like that to be behind Wentz because this dude, since his MVP season, has been injury prone. It's been his back. It's been his knee. It's been, I think, his shoulder. I'm not not 100% sure about all the injuries that Wentz has had, but you have to prepare for something like this. You have to prepare for something like this. That's what they didn't do last year with Phillip Rivers. They didn't have a backup for him. I mean, luckily, he played all the games, all the games for Indy, and they didn't have to go to this. But when you have an injury-prone Carson Wentz, you need a better backup plan that bent rather than turning it to a bunch of rookies and a bunch of no-name guys. Because Brett Hundley, I remember he started with the Packers, but he didn't do anything. And then you have a bunch of young guys who haven't even taken a snap in the NFL. Haven't even taken one snap. And that's going to be your starting quarterback in week one if Carson Wentz can't go. He should have gone out and got like Nick Foles. Get a trade for him. Pick up a guy like Colin Kaepernick. He's still out there. Just guys who are experienced and can come in in a situation like this. You don't turn it to a bunch of rookies. So that's... The biggest thing for Indy is just figuring out their plan B for if Carson Wentz is unavailable. Because when you think about it, this is pretty much the same team from last year. It's pretty much the same team on offense. You know, you have T.Y. Hilton, he resigned. Jonathan Taylor, still your running back. Jack Doyle, your tight end. All those guys. The one downside for their defense is losing Justin Houston. He was great on the edge, and he really set the tempo. So if your offense is pretty much the same with your quarterback being really the biggest change that you had, then this is this is something you have to be careful, though, of. Because that's why I think Quentin Nelson might be a bigger loss if he can't start. The biggest thing is protecting that quarterback. Because they finally, you know, they saw Andrew Luck's retirement and said, oh, we should get ourselves an offensive line. And they were able to keep Rivers up. For 2020. If they can't do that here in 2021, Wentz is going to get hurt again. So that's why Indianapolis is really a team to watch in this preseason. How do their young guys at quarterback play? I know it's preseason and all that, so we're not going to get all the answers, but you just have to at least get a feel for what these guys are going to look like. Because I know Ellinger was a big talk coming out of Texas. You know, he wasn't like Heisman or anything like that, but he was a name that really stuck around. And then just all these young guys and these journeymen, how are they going to fit in if Wentz is unable to go? So that would be the biggest team I want to watch for in the preseason. The second team I want to watch for is Chicago, the Chicago Bears, because I think they're not necessarily in the same situation as Indianapolis, but they still have quarterback questions like Indianapolis. And I think they really got to set a plan with Justin Fields because this was a top 10 talent that they traded to get for. And as of right now, Coach Matt Nagy has said, Andy Dalton is your starter, okay? Keep in mind who the three quarterbacks for Chicago are. You have Andy Dalton, who was great for a little bit of time, but then he's kind of washed up. You have Justin Fields, who's a prominent rookie, promising rookie. And then you have Nick Foles, who is an off-again, on-again starter, who's too inconsistent to give him a full-time starting job. Okay, I'll tell you this right now, that if this Bears team is successful, it will not because be because of Andy Dalton. It will not. Because if you 
look at the other side of the field, there's still a guy named Khalil Mack. There's still a guy named Akeem Hicks. They're still on the edge on that defensive line. Okay? That's how they'll be successful. And keep in mind, the last three seasons, Chicago's finished 12-4, and won the North, and then the last two seasons, they won 8-8. Eight and eight. But out of those three years, they made the playoffs twice with Mitch Trubisky. They made the playoffs with Trubisky. Okay? And 8-8 eight and eight just will not make the playoffs this upcoming year. It will not, because I think the Minnesota Vikings are going to get better. The Cowboys are going to get better. The whole NFC West division will be better. Okay, so that's why Chicago has to figure out what is their plan going to be. If Andy Dalton struggles, are you going to throw in Nick Foles? Or do you put Justin Fields in there? Do you think he still has to develop more? That's what Chicago has to figure out. And I just really want to see what Fields does on the field no pun intended, is just to see what he does in game action. That's really what you're looking for for all these rook- rookies, you know, like a Zach Wilson or a Mac Jones or uh, uh, all these rookies. You just want to see how they do in game action, you know, because we can see training camp and we can hear about, oh, these guys are doing great in training camp. But until they get into a game, that's when it's really going to count and that's when it's really going to matter. And people will start to really make those judgments and make those opinions. So that's why I think Justin Fields is going to be someone to really keep an eye on. Because if he plays well in this preseason, he can get himself into that backup role. Now, I know Andy Dalton was good in his temporary time with Dallas. And the Cowboys, keep. I know they struggled, but they still almost made the playoffs with all those quarterbacks. But Andy Dalton is a proven starter in this league. I know he's a little bit washed up, but if he struggles, then Justin Fields has to be in there. He has to be in there. You don't trade, you know, similar to their Mitch Trubisky situation. You don't trade up that high and pick a quarterback to have him sit on the sidelines. You don't. You don't. So you're expecting that if your QB1 struggles, which in this case will be Andy Dalton, if he struggles, Justin Fields is your next guy. He is your next guy. So I don't know what Chicago has planned for him, but I really think Chicago is a team to watch out for because they have maybe the biggest quarterback questions out there. They have three guys who could start on most teams for this upcoming year, but they've got them all on the same roster and just to figure out who's going to do what. But then the last team I think is someone to watch watch out for are the Steelers, the Pittsburgh Steelers. Not necessarily to watch out for, but just to keep a close eye on. Because remember, this was a team that people are calling the most overrated, undefeated team in the entire NFL. Last year, started 11-0, finished 1-4, and and lost to the Browns in the wild card. So, I really just want to know, what is the Steelers team going to do to help out Ben Roethlisberger because we've saw we saw it last year that a team that is led by Roethlisberger passing is not going to be successful. They're not. They can't carry them all the way to a Super Bowl. We've saw we've seen that. And maybe yeah, Roethlisberger did it in the past, but he's like 37, 38. He doesn't have that many years left. So what are they going to do to back this guy up? The number one thing they got to do is get a running game. They had no running game at all. 
And me personally, I liked James Conner. They don't have him anymore. He signed with Arizona. But what are they going to do? They got to establish that running game. They did that at least with baby steps by drafting Najee Harris at number 24 coming out of Alabama. I think Benny Snell Jr. is going to get a larger workload. But also keep in mind, there's a totally new offensive line. Okay, three of the five starters from opening day a year ago are gone. They cut David DeCastro. They're not re-signing Alejandro Villanueva. And Marquise Pouncey retired as your center. Okay, so you do sign Trey Turner. You get some experience for what's called the new era of the offensive line. But you got to remember, Roethlisberger, he's had multiple injuries in the past. So if you don't have an O-line that protects him, that's, again, putting more weight on Roethlisberger to try and carry this team by passing the ball. So establishing a running game and getting good protection is going to be the ultimate key for the Steelers team to get back to their undefeated magic that they once had. And really, I like their defense. I personally do like their defense. I think they continue that success. You know, they've got TJ Watt, the sack leader from a year ago. They've got Stephon Tewitt, who was in the top 10 on the line. And you've also got an experience in Cam- Cameron Hayward. And you also get a solid secondary. Remember, you got Joe Hayden at the cornerback position and Micah Fitzpatrick as your one of your safeties. I like their defense. I just think their offense needs to carry around and get some balance. Because defensively, they were basically top three or around the top three in almost all defensive categories. You know, third in yards allowed, pass yards allowed, points per game, and turnover differential. They were good defensively. But it's just that offense, can they find a way to just balance out, balance out. Don't Ben Roethlisberger can't carry this offense by throwing it a million times at his age. He just can't. He cannot do it. So those are really the things I want to watch for in this preseason. But regardless of what happens, it will just be so exciting to once again see some football take place, ultimately until the regular season kicks off in September. So next up, we move to a sport that's still got a season going on, and that's the MLB. And things are really heating up in baseball right now. Things have been getting tighter and tighter. I mentioned it'll take a few weeks for new acquisitions to get accustomed, and we're starting to see the results a little bit. Basically, every division has been getting closer and closer, except for the central divisions, because they're both runaways, basically. I mean, the White Sox are up 9.5 in the AL Central. There's no one going to catch them there. And then the Brewers leading 7.5. I mean, it just shows you from last night, even. Corbin Burns striking out 10 guys in a row and 15 in total against the Cubs last night. No one's going to catch them. No one's going to catch the Cubs or uh, the Brewers. But the other divisions, though, they're getting closer and closer than what they once were. We got to start in the AL East because, I mean, it started right before the trade deadline that the Red Sox were leading. Now there's a chance they could go to fourth place with the competition level picking up a little bit. I mean, right now it's a four-game lead for the Rays, but it might not be super safe. I mean, 
listen to the schedule that they have for the rest of the year. They've got to play each team in the division at least two more series. So that's about five or six games if you're doing it. They're hosting the White Sox next week. They travel to Houston for the second-to-last series of the regular season. So it is not an easy schedule for Tampa coming up. I do think that they have the talent to win that division. I think they will win that division, as I mentioned last week and weeks before. You know, after the trade deadline, I had said, you know what, with their moves and the Red Sox not doing anything, I think they're in a good spot to hold on to that division lead, you know. But it just takes one good run or one bad stretch of games, you know, as we're seeing with the Red Sox, because they are struggling. They're struggling, and we'll talk about the Red Sox a little bit later, but the Yankees and the Blue Jays, they're picking it up a little bit. I will say that Toronto probably has a better chance to leapfrog Boston than New York does, just because I think they have a slightly better bullpen. I think they did more for their pitching than New York did. I like the addition of Brad Hand. I like Jose Barrios in that rotation. I think their pitching's a little bit better to go along with such a powerful lineup. I mean, the Yankees don't even have that powerful lineup. I mean, Vlad Jr., Bichette, Semien. I mean, Springer, he's getting accustomed in that leadoff spot. They have so many pieces basically from 1 to 9. And I think in a game like this, you know, pitching's still going to be crucial in the postseason. But in order to get to the postseason, you got to have a great lineup. And I think that lineup for Toronto is just so impactful that I could see them getting in that wild card spot if they can go on a run, if they can go on a run and leapfrog Boston. Because they're only, I think, three games back of the Red Sox for that second wild card spot. And really, when you look at the standings, the wild card essentially is going to be the second place team in the American League West and then the second place team in the American League East. Those would be the two teams to make the wild card. That's ultimately what it's going to be. But speaking of the American League West, that division isn't so safe either. I mean, Houston, I thought they were going to be super comfortable in that division, but Oakland has been on fire, on fire since the beginning of the month. I mean, they're 8-1 and one in August, including winning 11 of their last 13 and 6 games in a row. And I think the difference that Oakland has is all those deadline acquisitions that they got. That put them into contention. I mean, getting Starling Marte from the Marlins, getting Josh Harrison and Jan Gomes from the Nats, that gives that lineup a lot of depth. But the question I have for this A's team is that, can the bullpen carry the momentum of their starting rotation. Because when you look at all five starters for Oakland, every starter has an ERA below four right now. Manea, Bassett, Montas, Caprillion, and Irvin all have a sub-four ERA. I mean, there's no question about the Astros' bullpen. I mean, they picked up maybe the hottest bullpen arm during the deadline in Kendall Graveman. I mean, he hasn't allowed a run in five appearances for the Astros. Five appearances. So can Oakland do that? Can Oakland have those guys like Sergio Romo to maintain that consistency with the starting rotation? Because I think the lineup is good. I think they're all starting to come around to each other. I think when you have Romo leading that bullpen, um, that can balance it out with a lineup like Matt Olson 
And then you have a bunch of great additions I just mentioned. Harrison and Gomes and Marte. I mean, you've got Chapman. You've got Murphy as your catcher. I ultimately think Oakland can continue the stretch because they've had the stretch before earlier on in the year. And I think they can keep it going and overtake Houston because I believe it's only about two or two and a half games in that American League West division that separates the two. And Houston, you know, there are more questions with their pitching and in more in particular their starting rotation and their bullpen more than Oakland. I mean, we know, like I just said, the bullpen for Houston is totally fine. But it's that starting rotation. I mean, Zach Granke and Lance McCullers Jr. is really the only starter right now you could really trust for that Houston team. I ultimately think the Athletics can overtake it and they can win this division. I really think they can. They are in such a good run that I think they'll be able to overtake the Astros and win that American League East. American League West, excuse me. Uh, I'm talking about the East because that's the next division I'm going to in the National League. I mean... What a dogfight this division has come down to. I mean, you've got the Phillies, the Braves, and the Mets all separated by one game. Philly and Atlanta tied for the lead, and the Mets are one game back. I got to say, I did mention to look out for the Phillies and that great lineup that they have because they have plenty of weapons. I mean, obviously, Bryce Harper is kind of getting back to what he once was. He did struggle early on, early on in the year. But he's getting back to it. He's also got Hoskins, Real Muto, McCutcheon, all these guys. I think is a great lineup. I think it's a great lineup. And then they bolstered their rotation by getting Zach Gibson. And you also got to keep in mind that they've got a really favorable schedule coming up. Six of their last 15 series are against teams over 500. They're playing a lot of sub-500 teams upcoming. So it's a really favorable matchup coming for Philadelphia. Atlanta on the other side, though, I did not think they were going to have a chance. I really didn't think so, because after they lost Acuna, I would have thought they're done. I would have thought they don't have the pieces to recover, but they went out, they got Jock Peterson, and it's almost like they hadn't lost a step, because they still have Albies. They still have Freeman. I think, again, pitching is their question, like I mentioned over and over every time I talk about the Braves. I think that is the difference maker for this Braves team. But then the Mets, I, I'm kind of disappointed because I mentioned that with the addition of Javi Baez, I thought there would have been a spark. I thought there would have been a spark for the entire team. I really would have thought so. But, you know, they've lost seven of their last nine, including four straight. You know, they had it broken last night with that win against Washington. But their offense has just dwindled. They're They're not what they were supposed to be. They're scoring... Only five or more runs twice in the month of August, and they were both victories. So I don't know what's going on with that offense because the pitching is already hurt with, you know, no Jacob deGrom coming back anytime soon. We have no idea when deGrom is going to be back, if he's going to be back. You know, depending on this race, they might shut down deGrom and say, you know what, we got to look for the future. I know you got a great ERA and you can help us, but we need you for the long term. You know, so... I don't know if the Mets really have it in them if they their offense and their lineup can't pick up because Baez is doing all he can. You know, he's already hit two home runs in his stint with the Mets, but afterwards he's just kind of disappeared, you know? So that's why I think you can put confidence in Philadelphia if they can continue this stretch. If they can continue this stretch, you can pick them 
to win this division. And I ultimately, you know, I'll give it to you like this. I'll give like a little predecessor is that if the Mets have Jacob deGrom, they will win. But if not, I will give it to Philly. I will give it to the Philadelphia Phillies to win this division. It's all coming down. That's how effective Jacob deGrom is. I mean, this is a dude who had a sub one ERA for probably about half of the season before he went out with an injury. Before he went out. So that's how much of a difference maker he is. If he's not in that rotation, if he's not pitching every five days, then this Mets team is done. Over. Absolutely over. And you can give it to Philadelphia. Give the division to Philadelphia if that's the case. But in the West, I got to tell you, I think it's boiled down to two teams. It initially was three, but the Dodgers and Giants have kind of pulled away. Giants still with a four-game lead. I'm very surprised that. (coughs) And I think the Padres will make the postseason, but I think the struggles in the division race is all about Fernando Tatis Jr.'s health. That's really the biggest one because he's had a couple of stints on the IL so far this year, you know, shoulder injuries, stuff like that. It's causing some concern and some struggles. So that's why I kind of put them away in the division race. But and I, I think they make the wild card at least. But in the division, you know, I was expecting San Fran, similar to the Red Sox, to come back down to earth. But here they are in August, 8-2, and two, including four straight victories. It's just showing me how effective that pitching is because their rotation is absolutely dominant. Absolutely dominant. And not only that, then in the trade line acquisition to get Chris Bryant, that helps out your offense. Definitely helps out your offense. And Buster Posey is back and healthy in the catcher spot. I mean, talk about talk about making moves when you need to. And I think that's what this Giants team did. I will say, though, that the Dodgers, they're still the World Series favorites, but it's all coming down to their health. All right? So they're one of these teams... You know, kind of like going to basketball like a LeBron James team. They just have to make the postseason, and then they can turn it on from there. Because then they'll get healthy. Because Mookie Betts just went on the IL again with his bad hit. Clayton Kershaw's on the 60-day IL. Okay, so you don't even know if you'll get him back in time for the postseason. You don't know that for a fact. But if this LA team can make the postseason, and they can get out of the wild card, then they'll be able to go on run. Because they just have to get to the postseason. That's all it is. They got to get to the postseason and they got to get healthy. They have to get healthy. That's the biggest thing for this Dodgers team. Because if they get to the postseason, they're the favorites. I mentioned it last week during the deadline. They're already the favorites with getting Scherzer and Trey Turner. They're already the favorites in that. But they just have to be healthy in in time for the postseason. That's all it is. I ultimately think the Giants still can win the division. And I think L.A. is looking at the big picture. They're looking at the big picture saying, we know we're the favorites. Let's just get healthy. Let's just get healthy. We're okay with second place. But, I mean, the wild card, it's only a one-game wild card, and you're probably going to be facing one of the other teams in the NL West, and that would be the Padres, and you never know what can happen there. So I think the Dodgers still chase the division. I think ultimately their health kind of bites them in the butt and gets them in the wild card. But I think they should be able to get out of the wild card. You know, you could throw Kershaw or Euler or Scherzer out there in that game, and you can win that game. But I got to tell you, 
This is only August, and the division race is heating up. I can't wait to see what happens with these divisions when we get into September, when the run to the postseason truly kicks into high gear. So now topic number three, we got to talk about the Olympics. They just ended this past Sunday, and last time I had talked about the Olympics, I was really skeptical on the U.S.'s performance in a bunch of other sports, uh, men's basketball, gymnastics, swimming, and all that, but they eventually turned the corner, and they were as dominant as they always are. They beat China in the last couple of days. They got the most golds. In 39, just edging out China by one gold medal, by one. And they also edged them out in total medals. I think it was like 113 to 80-something for China. But I got to say, a couple of the the teams I want to talk about were men's basketball because they did have a scare. They ultimately did come out with the gold. And it it was so funny because I was really kind of going back and forth. Was, Was this team good enough to win the Olympics and I ultimately like in the end throughout I thought they did I thought they had the talent but just were they going to be able to come together as a team and I think ultimately Kevin Durant taking the ball and saying let me lead this thing is what he did that was the biggest thing that for this U.S. team happened Durant was a scoring machine I don't think they win without him on that roster but I will say It was not easy. It was not easy, and I think, you know, I've heard a lot of people talk about the gap. The gap between the international team and the U.S. team is is close. I still think it's close. I think maybe a couple more ways to go. I think more international people are going to, or more international players are going to come out to the NBA. And I I just think the American team, you know, they should have won this. I think everyone was predicting them to win this, but... I think their early struggles were kind of just surprising and people were taken back just saying, whoa, 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 this is not the American basketball team that we know of. We're used to the 92 Dream Team or the 08 or the 2012 or the 2016 where they just come out and wipe the floor with all these teams. You know, it is different with the international talent, but I think everyone kind of knew that this American team was going to be the favorites. They should win the gold medal. And if they didn't, it was going to be one of the biggest upsets of all time. One of the biggest upsets of all time if this men's basketball team did not win. Because you have Durant, Lillard, Tatum, Adebayo, Booker, Holiday. You know, all those guys were able to come together and win that gold medal. And I'm so happy that they did. You know, I think it took a little bit of while for those three finals players, Holiday, Middleton, and Booker to get their legs under them because they basically had no rest, you know, going from the NBA Finals right into Tokyo, right into the Olympics. And now hopefully they get tons of rest because the preseason is going to kick off for the NBA, I think, like at the end of September, and then the regular season will get underway in October. So they should rest up as much as they can because those legs have got a lot of miles on them. But I will say... Men's basketball, I wasn't completely sure of. I was definitely sure in women's basketball. They were dominant. 
absolutely dominant. And I would call them the most dominant team in all of Olympic history. I mean, what's this? Seven straight gold medals for the women's basketball team? Seven straight gold medals. Unheard of. Absolutely unheard of. And also Sue Bird, Diana Taurasi, five of them. Five gold medals. And I mean, what a way for Sue Bird. I mean, that's that's a Hall of Fame career without a doubt. First ballot, five gold medals, you know, a stellar career in the WNBA. Talk about a player who has cemented her legacy. You know, it's kind of like a Tom Brady where it's like you don't need to do more, but we'll just keep calling you the greatest and the greatest and the greatest with more accolades the more accolades come. And Diana Taurasi too, same thing. I mean... The only difference is, I think, is that Sue Bird already announced her retirement and she's not going to be in the Paris Olympics in 2024. And maybe Tarasi sees that and he's like, okay, let's. She sees that and is like, let's go for six. Let's get six gold medals in this one. Because I think, without a shadow of a doubt, until there is a team that goes out on that court and beats the U.S. women in a game of basketball, then I will call them the most dominant team. Ever. Ever. I don't care what sport it is, what league it is. This is the most dominant team in all of sports. The most dominant run. You know, maybe, you know, it could be better than the that Celtics run in the 50s and 60s. It could be better than the Yankees runs with their 27 titles. It could be better than the Patriots and all that. I think this team is the most dominant team in all of sports. Bar none. Bar none. It doesn't matter who they throw out there. It is a dominant team. I mean, Brittany Griner was incredible down low as their center. And then just Asia Wilson was great as well. Just You could look from top to bottom. This entire roster was phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. And I knew without a shadow of a doubt that women's basketball was going to take that gold. And if they didn't, I would be an even bigger upset than if any of the men's teams would have won. But I will say the feel-good moment for me, at least, was seeing Simone Biles back in competition. I mean, ultimately, she had the yips at the worst time possible, and so she just pulled out saying, I need to get my head back in the right space. She said, my head's in the right space, goes back out on the balance beam, and goes out and wins bronze. Goes out and wins bronze. That is quite an accomplishment for Simone Biles. Because, you know, like I said when I talked about this a few weeks ago, mental health is the number one priority in this day and age. In this day and age, and it should be for athletes as well. And if they're not in the right headspace, you know, that's going to alter everything. If you're a basketball player, you're not going to make as many shots. If you're a baseball player, you're going to strike out all the time. The thing is, if you're a gymnast and you have those kind of yips, it could result in disastrous things I'm talking like a broken neck or broken arm something like that something very very bad so to see Simone Biles kind of get back her mojo and you know it wasn't the dominant Simone Biles that we're known to see but the fact she came back and meddled at least was incredible absolutely incredible (coughs) excuse me just to see her back on the floor, it, it gives you a real a real feel good. I mean, returning to competition, she said, you know what? It's time. It's time to get back out there. And obviously came out, won the bronze. I think part of that has to do with the fact that she wasn't able to compete 
in the previous competitions that kind of, you know, it it's like, you know, taking practice swings and stuff like that. You can you can warm up and practice all of that however you want for gymnastics, but when you get out there and it's all on the line, if you're not in some kind of rhythm from any previous events, especially in gymnastics where there's a bunch of different elements, you have the floor routine, you have uneven bars, you have all these events, and if you're not flowing within one another doing all that warm-up, then it kind of alters you a little bit, and we saw it from Biles by getting the bronze, because I think if she had competed in all the other events, regardless of her results, the result probably could have been better on the beam, you know, maybe a gold or a silver, but, you know, as Americans, we'll take the bronze, we will take the bronze for Simone Biles, for, you know, we probably could have had over 40 medals if Biles competed, and if she was able to win. And we probably could have had more total medals if Biles was competing. But, of course, we take a step back about mental health. At least I do in what I've talked about weeks ago. It was just good to see Biles back out there doing what she loves. And maybe she gets redemption in 2024. If she wants to come back for in Paris and, you know, hopefully she won't have those kind of yips or twisties as they like to call them. And we'll get to see a dominant Simone Biles once again. But all I know is every American should be proud of what their athletes did in Tokyo the last two weeks for showing the world just how dominant our athletes are. is the segment that for those of you in the Massachusetts area you skip right to it's our let's get local segment of the week and we've got lots of news coming out there I talked about the preseason for the NFL that starts tonight against the Patriots I mean I say tonight being because we record on a Thursday and their Thursday night preseason game against Washington will take place but by the time this airs we'll have already seen preseason so let's just talk about what are we looking for and obviously the biggest thing we're looking for is about the quarterback position that's the biggest number one thing that everyone has been talking about really since the Patriots re-signed Cam Newton and drafted Mac Jones is which one of those two is gonna earn the starting role and when you look at training camp and listen to all the news and the headlines you would say that training camp is favoring Cam Newton right now as being the starter but we haven't seen Mac Jones in game action yet we haven't seen that yet now, I've been able to follow uh, my good friend Alex Barth, who was on this show a while back. Shout out to Alex if you're listening. He was covering it, and he was, you know, in listening to his reports and listening to other reports, you hear that, you know, it was a lot of back and forth. It was just a lot, a lot of trading repetitions. You know, there was no one guy getting more reps than the other for consecutive days. It was always a switch and stuff like that. So... I'm really looking forward to game action. I want to see Mac Jones in game action. I think, you know, we've heard reports that they're both going to play. They're both going to play in this in this game tonight against Washington, the Washington football team. The question is, you know, who's going to get the start against first team reps? You know, how long do the first team reps go out there is the question. Is Do they only go out for two series? Do they go out for a quarter? Do they go out for a half? I think, you know... We have to get about two games, I would say, 
in to really get a question because I, you'd think for Belichick, you know, the strategy would be to maybe like start Newton in game one and then next week for preseason game two, you start Mac Jones. So you get favorable reps, you know, that's really what I think could happen. You know, if you ask me, I think Bill is leaning towards Cam Newton as a starter just because he's more experienced. He's got a year under his belt in this system. And I just think Belichick trusts him more. I think, you know, Mac Jones might have a promising future, but we just don't know how he looks in game action. And I think Belichick isn't going to take that risk by throwing Mac Jones out there. If he's the guy for the future, you don't want to risk him this early on. And I think that's what Belichick is kind of looking for. So that's the big thing we're looking for in the Patriots preseason. Another thing I want to look for is what are the offensive schemes going to look like? You know, who's going to be in the depth chart? Because in the backfield, basically Damian Harris was able to get a giant workload last year because Sony Michelle had injuries. Now that he's back, how are you going to balance those two? You know, who's going to get the majority of the carries? Because we know James White is going to be your third down back. So who's going to be that first and second down? Do you maybe, if you're going to pass on first or second, do you throw him to Shell? Or are you going to stick with Damian Harris? Who's going to be that lead running back? Who's going to be that feature running back? It is going to be very crucial to find out. And I think we'll get some answers on who gets those first team reps. Because Harris played pretty good last year. I will say he was very good. And I would have confidence if he was the starting quarterback or starting running back for this team. But then also Sony Michelle, if he is able to bounce back and have a good game or a good preseason, then he might be valuable. You know, we know Belichick loves the two running back format, you know, talking about it. You know, he had Sony Michelle and James White and Rex Burkhead, you know, all on the same roster. We know he loves to use multiple running backs, so it could just be a running back by committee. And then also the wide receiver position. I talked about it a few weeks ago. Who's going to establish themselves as that number one target? Who's going to do it? Because right now, when you look at the roster of wide receivers, you can't pull out a number one. You can't say Nikhil Harry is your number one, Jacoby Myers, Kendrick Bourne, Nelson Aguilar. None of them scream, that's your number one wide receiver right there. Who is going to do that? And then in the tight end position, I know we're not going to get that answer because Hunter Henry's out with the shoulder injury. But like I said, who is your number one tight end going to be? Jonu Smith or Hunter Henry? That's something you really got to watch out for. You know, and we're probably not going to get it in the preseason, as I mentioned. But when we get into regular season action, who is going to take the majority of the action at tight end? And then lastly, I'd just love to see how this tight end or uh, this defense goes. Really more so in the secondary, because I think there are already established names at the linebacker position. Hightower, Van Noy, and Judah, you know what they can bring. But the secondary still has questions, and we don't even know if Stephon Gilmore is going to play. You know, as of right now, he's on the PUP because of the contract discussions. So ultimately, what is the secondary going to look like if Gilmore doesn't play? And I think if he doesn't play, you're screwed. I think if there's no Stephon Gilmore, you are absolutely done in the secondary. That's really all it comes down to. That's how big Gilmore is. So Patriots better figure out that situation fast. But I will just be very excited to see the Patriots back on the field and back in some action. And hopefully there's a better result this year than there is last year. But of course, a team 
that's going on right now are the Red Sox. And man, have they struggled. Absolutely struggled. I want to say that they're 3-8 and eight since the deadline. I'm not sure how accurate that is. But <coughs> the biggest thing that I see out of this team is that the pitching has always been in question. We always know that you can't trust that rotation. There are not many guys you can say you can count on. But now we're getting to a point where the offense hasn't been able to bail them out. I mean, we're talking the big hitters like Bogarts and Martinez Endeavors. They're struggling, and those are the guys leading the charge. And we're seeing guys like Renfro and Gonzalez and Kike Hernandez sort of come back down to earth and really just, they're not hitting like they once were. You know, we already said they were over-exceeding in terms of offense, and now not only are they coming back down to earth, but they're getting down into the earth's core that they're not doing so well. But I will say, last night's 20-8 to victory, I think is a good kick in the rear for them. It's a good kick in the rear for this team because this offense barely managed to put up numbers. And when they do put up numbers, their pitching stinks. Absolutely stinks. So that's why their offense is always able to bail them out. But 20-8, to 20-8, and only one home run. This was a home run driven team. They only hit one. The rest of them were RBI hits, extra base hits, stuff like that. So... If they do, if they are able to turn this thing around, if they turn this team around, you're going to look at this game and say, this was the turning point. This was the turning point. 20 to 8. If they get back on a roll, you're going to look at this game and say, this was it. This is what turning that team around. I still think this team struggles, especially in the bullpen. You know, in the past weeks, we've seen guys like Taylor, Sawamora, Whitlock, Barnes. They've struggled, and they were one of the more consistent <coughs> more consistent pitchers in that bullpen. I mean, even last night when it was 20-1, to and Phillips Valdez goes ahead and gives up seven runs in that ninth inning. You know, even at 20-1, to I was like, finish the game. Finish the game. <coughs> That's all I wanted was just finish the game luckily they scored 20 runs and there was plenty of room to play with but you know what is this pitching rotation and the bullpen going to be now that Chris Sale is going to come back this Saturday against Baltimore and Martin Perez Garrett Richards moving into the bullpen they might be better in sort of a long-term kind of thing you know if your starter gets in trouble you throw them out there for maybe two or three innings and you move Whitlock into the setup role because that's, he's been great this year. He's been absolutely great this year. And if you put Whitlock in that position with guys like Adovino or Sabamora or Taylor where they're your setup guys, guys you can trust to hand the ball off to Barnes, then this bullpen can get a little bit better. But going back to Chris Sale, you got to remember this rotation. Now with Sale back, it's going to be him, Nate Evaldi, Eduardo Rodriguez, Nick Pavetta, and Tanner Houck, okay? I would say two of those guys I trust, and that's Chris Sale, and that, and that's Nathan Avaldi. But even Chris Sale is a little, little up in the air because we don't know what he's like in an MLB game. He looks good in his rehab starts, but we don't know what he's going to be like in actual game territory. I do have a feeling that Heim Bloom, he's going to... He's going to want to preserve Chris Sale. He's not, he's going to maybe talk to Alex Gore and just be like, listen, I know we're trying to fight for a playoff, but this is a guy we need for the long term to help 
help out because we know Bloom loves the future. He loves the future. That's why he didn't make any deadline moves. So I think, you know, Chris Sale is not going to be pushed. He's not going to be pushed. You know, he's just going to go out, hopefully get five or six innings each start if he can. But regardless of the standings, I think they're going to hold on to him. They're not going to stretch him too much. And hopefully the Sox team can turn this around because this was a team that fans were getting excited for. You know, they love the over-exceeding teams. Look at 2013. They love that team. And if Bloom can't recognize that, then he shouldn't even be the general manager or whatever his title is, baseball operations or something like that. But he's not a part of baseball operations as we move now to basketball. That is Brad Stevens, and he finally got a move to get himself a point guard. Dennis Schroeder signing a one-year $5.9 million deal, and the Celtics get their point guard. Now keep in mind, this was a mid-level exception. Mid-level exception of $5.9 million. Remember back in March, Schroeder turned down a four-year, $84 million extension with the Lakers. And clearly it did not pay off because he struggled, absolutely struggled. And he took that chance and it just did not pay off. Now the question with this signing is, are you going to put him as your starting point guard? Or do you have him come off the bench? That's really the question you have to ask if you're coach Ime Udoka is do you want him in the backcourt do you want him playing off of Marcus Smart can he help Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum that's ultimately what you have to ask if you're Schroeder because I think he's a good scorer I think he's a really good scorer he can be a good three you know maybe not as effective as Kemba Walker was but at least it's it's someone because like I said last week Marcus Smart Peyton Pritchard Chris Dunn and Carson Edwards. Not really the point guard depth you're looking for. You have a guy who's good on offense. He can shoot the ball and he doesn't have to be the focal point. Remember, Schroeder was playing on a Lakers team that lost their two best players due to injuries. Okay? Lost LeBron, lost Anthony Davis. Now that he's sort of on a prove it deal, it could be on him to say, you know what? I'm worth more than I'm getting at the mid level exception. Because he wanted the full exception of nine and a half and a player option in year two. So, obviously, he's taking a chance on himself and he's going to go prove it to himself by signing this deal. But I'm just glad Boston has a point guard and things could be looking up for the, the Celtics, the Red Sox, and the Patriots as things get underway here in the city. to end our show we look once again at our lol moment of the week and i gotta tell you this week it's not so much a moment more as moments and it's been going on for a couple of weeks now but we're just gonna get it into the light and get everyone exposed so without any further ado this week's lol moment of the week goes to dan campbell the new head coach for the Detroit Lions. Now, if you haven't been following this, 
Dan Campbell has said some pretty interesting things at his press conferences during training camp. He's had some memorable one-liners, and it all started when he said he starts the day with two, not one, but two 40-ounce coffees with two shots of espresso each, okay? That's why he has all that energy. He's got that energy all the time because he goes deep on the coffee. Two 40-ouncers with two shots of espresso. I can't even think of someone who has one, who gets one 40-ounce coffee with an espresso, okay? So he has got tons of energy, and we now know why. It's the source. And then two days ago, he once again goes absolutely nuts. Or not absolutely nuts, but it's it's a it's a unique answer, I will say. You know, the reporter asks about does this roster, does this team have grit? And the simple response was this. There are no turds here. There are no turds here when talking about grit. Okay? I don't think I've ever heard anyone use that expression when answering a question like that, you know? It's like going to your buddy saying, like, do you think you can do this? And they say, like, I'm not a turd. <laughs> it's insane. I think Patricia and Quinn did a great job of, there's no turds here. There's no bad guys. Like, these guys work now, you know? We don't have guys, uh, I'm lazy, blah, blah, blah. We don't really have those guys. And uh, that's a good thing. That's not always the case when you walk in and there ha- it's not hasn't been a successful program. It's just a matter of, hey, we got to, this is how you got to win. This is what it takes to win. This is what it takes to, to be a winner. That's good. It's absolutely insane to listen to this guy at the press conference. But you got to remember, Detroit is going through a whole change. They're going through a whole new change. They're looking for some personality with a, after a stale Matt Patricia thin with Detroit. They've got a new quarterback in Jared Goff, Dan Campbell being the new head coach, and the new GM in Brad Holmes. They're trying to get some energy. He's trying to get some energy for this team. And if it has to be going absolutely nuts at the press conference, you know, that could just show the team, hey, I'm just as energetic as you guys are. So let's go out there and let's have a good practice. Let's win that game. And, you know, this is only one of the many comments that Dan Campbell has said, okay? He's had a lot of interesting quotes, I'll say, from the Detroit Lions camp so far, along with the espresso and all of that. I mean, when he's talking about knocking on wood or something like that, you know, it, you know, he was he was asked if he was superstitious, you know, on August 9th, and he said, quote, I'm a little bit. You notice that? I do. I'm a knocker. I am. I'm a knocker on wood. I mean, anything like, yeah, a little bit. If it's something that could potentially be seen as bad luck in my eyes, I'm going to knock. Doesn't matter what it is, it's just me. I'm just going to say this guy probably did not ace public speaking and never wrote any of his speeches, and he just improvised on that. I mean, granted, I did too on all my speeches during public speaking. But this is just a dude who doesn't conform to the standards that a head coach does, just being like, oh, yeah, he looked good in practice, you know, et cetera, et cetera. This is a guy who marches to the beat of his own drum and 
who knows if that energy is going to carry through the Detroit Lions locker room, but I just know that with all of those memorable quotes, Dan Campbell, you have earned yourself into this week's LOL Moment of the Week. So that will do it for this edition of Let Me Speak. Thank you very much for tuning in on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or YouTube, wherever you're watching. Make sure you follow our other pages on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for more content. All you got to do is search Let Me Speak Podcast. And remember, as always, if you've got a point you got to get across, just let the whole world know. Shut up and let me speak.